please and open your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to read beginning in verse 8. When you got it, say so. And it says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who was dead and who came to life. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which are about you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Lord, thank you for your word that is true. Thank you for these wonderful reminders this morning of who you are in your resurrected power, Lord God, and how you engage with us in this earth, God. We thank you for being attentive to your people, and Lord, we thank you for your words that you spoke to your church in Asia Minor, God, and these words that resonate from that time to today. Let us hear what you're saying to us today, God, as we listen to what you said to them then. We give you praise we give you glory and honor for this. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. And you may be seen in the presence of the Lord. And so we are continuing in our Revelation series. Obviously, we are uh, dealing with the churches right now. And so we're dealing with the second church, which is the church of Smyrna. Which, if again, if you have um, the, the, the headings there over the chapters and, and, the, and the, the areas there, you'll see that it was a church that was known because it was persecuted. That was the big thing that was communicated regarding this church. And one thing that I'll say is that no one wants to suffer. Can I get an amen? amen. No one wants to suffer. No one wants hardship. No one really wants to grind. I mean, if we had it our way, right, we would just wake up and there'd just be a check there for us, right? I'm just saying, like, we would enjoy that, right? Didn't have to do much, you know, to kill ourselves or whatever the case is. However, everyone wants success, amen? Everybody wants acknowledgement, you know, you do something, you want someone to say, hey, I see you, I, I recognize what you did. Uh, everyone wants reward, whether it's temporal reward or eternal reward. That, that's just in us, right? And, and I want you to notice something, and I, I didn't point this out last week, but uh, God is, is not afraid to offer his people reward as a form of motivation. Hallelujah. You know, a lot of times, you know, as a parent, right, you think about, uh, you know, are you going to reward your children, you know, for things like doing chores or getting good grades? And, th and there's two people, right, like two types of folk, maybe some people in the middle. But, you know, there's some people that are like, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, you get an A, you're getting this, you get that, you know, and they're excited, right? And, and then other parents are like, how could you pay your children to do what they need to do? I'm like, well, I, and I'm not like, I'm just like, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, we're, 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 we don't, we haven't rewarded our kids like that typically. I'm just going to let you know. But it's not because I think there's something wrong with that, right? But 
It's funny because when you look at God, and if you didn't notice, I, I, as I'm dealing with this, I'm getting some parenting tips here, right? I'm seeing how God motivates his people. He wants us to be motivated by reward. Now, he wants us to ultimately be motivated by his love that he has shown us in his son for sure. However, he has no issue letting us know, I, I want to reward you. If you overcome, you're going to get some stuff. And, and we don't just see this in the book of Revelation, but we see this throughout. And so God motivates us with reward. But here's the fact. While none of us want to suffer, none of us want hardship, and none of us want to really have to grind super hard, I want to say this. The fact is this. No cross, no crown, no suffering, no glory, no work. There's no reward, at least not in the kingdom sense. As kingdom people, the truth is you are going to have to experience hardship and difficulty. And as we look at Jesus' words to the church in Smyrna, he is communicating to a church and he's not telling them, hey, um, there's persecution, there's hardship, there's tribulation that is on top of what you're already experiencing and I'm going to deliver you from that. That's not what he says. He, he encourages them through that. And you'll notice, and I'll, I may repeat this later, but Smyrna is one of the two of the seven churches that doesn't get rebuked. There are two churches of the seven that don't receive a rebuke. They're not rebuked. There's nothing that Jesus comes and says you need to repent of or turn from. They are encouraged in their circumstance and in their situation. And here's what I want you to think about this morning, because while we don't want suffering, we don't want hardship, we don't want this difficult, extra grind, suffering, testing, or tribulation do not indicate sin, but may point to faithfulness. Suffering, testing, or tribulation do not indicate sin, but may point to faithfulness. Now, don't get it twisted. There are times that there is for sure consequences of our sin that are hardship and difficulty. I don't want you to dismiss that. But what I know is this, is that it's not always because you're in sin that you're going through hardship. It's not always because you're in sin that you're experiencing difficulty. It's not always because you've done something wrong. You've made some bad decision that you are suffering sometimes suffering hardship difficulty are all signs hey you're being faithful you are being faithful and you know what there is an enemy that is opposing us there is an enemy that wants to hinder us from moving forward but can I say this as well there is also a loving father who wants to develop us further <clears throat> Whenever we think about discipline, right, we, 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 we always, I don't know, at least for me, when I think of the word discipline, it has this negative connotation to me, right? Like, man, discipline. I don't want to discipline my child, right? Well, you know, Larry is back there, and he is a personal trainer. If you don't know, right, you need to, you need to see him if you need someone to help you get to your goals. Glory to God. But, but Larry disciplines the people that he is working out. Now, that, that sounds messed up. Now, I'm not trying to give him a negative connotation here or say that he is hurting. For, but what I'm saying is he is helping them discipline themselves in order to achieve certain goals, right? And he has, he, you know, he's, he doesn't, it's not, like, it's not like he, you know, hey, you know, I don't like this person, so I'm going to work them harder. I, I mean, he might. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but he doesn't go in there with like an attitude like, 
like, you know what, I like you, so I'm going to be nice to you, right? Like, Joanna, you know, she's a, she's a PT, right? And so she, she's amazing, right? But, but sometimes when you work with her, you feel like, Lord Jesus. But what she is doing is she is disciplining you because what? Especially if she loves you, right? One time my back went out and she showed up at my house. And I listen, I ain't gonna lie to you. I was in more pain when she left than I was when she got there. However, right, I knew everything that she was doing was because she loved me. Because first of all, I wasn't paying her glory to God. And she just showed up, Bishop. I know you're hurt. She you tested my, my pelt. She was like, you're, you're, you're in bad shape right now. Let me help you. And she worked there for like an hour and just tried to help me the next day glory to God I was much better hallelujah it was it was a, it was a labor of love a discipline of love and what we have to understand in our relationship with God is that hardship difficulty suffering those tests of our faith that we go through are not an indication that we have offended him or that he has forgotten us or that he doesn't love us but it may clearly be an indication my son my daughter you're being faithful keep walking I have more for you I want to develop your character. I want to grow your faith. I want to build you up. And in order for you to get to the place, maybe, maybe you don't even want to go. See, that's the thing with us, right? Like, like when I go to, if I, if I haven't gone there yet, but if I go to Larry or I go to Joanna, like I have a goal, right? Like, hey, I want to walk better. I want to feel better. Maybe I want a six-pack, not a six-pack of beer. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, like maybe I want to lower my BMI or something like that, right? Like, like, like those are the goals I have. But can I tell you something? God is not concerned with the goals you have for yourself. He's concerned with the goals he has for you. Oh, come on, church. He is concerned with what he wants for you, not what you want. See, you and I want a comfortable, lush, just relaxed life. But God says, I want something more for you, my son. I want something more for you, my daughter. And sometimes I've got to walk you through fire that you will never go through because that is the only way I'm going to get you to where I'm trying to take you. He loves you. He cares, and so he's concerned. And, and, and sometimes he doesn't, you'll see here, and we'll ask the question and deal with it. Sometimes he doesn't just intervene and say, you know what, I'm just going to change that circumstance. He's like, no, I'm going to hold your hand through it. I'm going to walk you through this situation or the circumstance. So, so, so I would encourage you, as, as wherever you are in your walk, begin to pray, God, what do you want from me? God, what is it you want from me? God, what is it that you want through me? God, what are your goals for my life? I, I've written a plan, right? I, ha I have my, and not, I'm, I'm not saying me, but in general, right? I have, I have a thought, like in 10 years, this is where I want to be. Okay, great. Hallelujah. <laughs> this, is, this is where I want to be in five years. And, but wait a second. Have we sat down with the Father and said, Father, where do you want to see me in 10 years? Where do you want to see me in five years? Where do you want to see me in a year? Where, what, what, what is it that you want to see in me in this time? Because it's not just about my goals, my desires, but it is about his. The first thing I'd ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, Jesus, Jesus. sees differently, sees differently. And, offers and offers us the correct perspective. The correct perspective. Jesus sees differently, and he offers us the correct perspective. Perspective. I love that about Jesus. He does not see things from the perspective of where I am. 
This past week at Forge, Dr. Pete was sharing something at the end. And for those of you that have men that have never been to Forge on Tuesday mornings at 7 o'clock, you can join me and have a great time. We want to build great men as God defines greatness. That's the goal. And at the end, as he was wrapping up, he began to share this story of uh, a child in the car with their parent. And the child is in the car with the parent and is like, hey, go, you know, go around this person. You know, this person's taking forever. Go around. I don't remember the exact story. But the point was a child is sitting in the car and can't see anything except the car right in front of them. That's all they can see. Nothing. They can't see anything else. And yet the parent who is sitting in the driver's seat who has a different view of what is going on is like, I cannot pass this vehicle because there is oncoming traffic over here and we won't make it past the vehicle if we try to pass the vehicle at this moment. Because what? Because the driver had a different perspective than the child. Is that not us? Many, much of the time, we're looking at things from the passenger seat. And a child in a car, I mean, think about it, right? No matter if they're a child, they can't really see. Come on now. Yeah. But the Father in heaven, he sees, and, and Jesus sees things differently. And that's the beauty that we have here as he speaks to the church in Smyrna. He communicates some things. He sees things different, but not only does he see things differently, but he wants to offer us the right perspective. He wants us to see things from the right perspective and realize that, you know what, sometimes I'm not seeing the whole picture. Sometimes I'm not seeing what is really and fully going on around me. And so if we look here at verse 8 and verse 9, look what he says. He says, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these things says the first and the last who was dead and who came to life. So the first thing that we realize is that Jesus introduces himself in a different way to the church of Smyrna than he did to the church of Ephesus. And if you read ahead, you can see that to every one of these churches, he, he reveals himself in a specific way to support the message that is coming to them. And so what the church of Smyrna needed to hear is that he is the first and the last. He is the one who is the author of and controller of time. He is the one who was dead and is now alive. He is the one who is over death and life. He is the one who is over sin and the grave. They, they needed to know who he was. They needed to be reminded of who Jesus is. He had a different message, and so his revelation had to be different. And let me say say this, Jesus meets everyone where they are, but he doesn't compromise his character to meet anyone. Jesus meets everyone where they are, but he does not compromise his character for anybody. A few years ago, there was a, a book and there was a movie that was made. It's called The Shack. Some of you, I don't raise your hand, don't get excited, don't say amen to it or anything like that. This is not a trick question. But there, there was, you know, some, some folks in the church were so excited when they read the shack because now they understood God. They, they, they finally understood the Trinity. The problem is that the Holy Spirit was a black woman. I don't have any issue with black women. Hallelujah. Could have been a white woman. Could have been an Asian woman. Could have been Whatever. Where in the Bible do we see any revelation of God 
as being feminine. And, and ladies, I love you. I, I'm not. I, God is a spirit. Someone say amen. amen. Right? Jesus is the one who comes to earth as what? As a man, a male figure. I know in our culture right now, it's a little confusing. But nonetheless, Jesus didn't have an identity issue. Jesus came as a man to this earth and when he came to this earth that we see that picture but but the other pictures that we get of God is what father father and what the shack did was met mac in the shack hallelujah <laughs> where mac was Mac was going through some hardship. He was going through some difficulty. He was struggling in his faith, and God, and he, and, and God was meeting him. I love that. God was meeting him where he was. But suddenly, God changed his whole character, changed who he was in order to meet somebody where that God does not do that. God has given revelation of who he is. And what he does is he shows up. Sometimes he shows up as the one who is holding the stars in his hand, who is walking among the lampstands, who is judging and scrutinizing and looking at your life. Sometimes he shows up like that. Other times he shows up as the first and the last the one who was dead and is alive. In other words, he shows up as the one who is almighty and yet knows what it is to suffer. Are you here? God shows up. He meets, listen, wherever you are, he meets you where you are, but he is never going to lower who he is in order to placate to you or to anyone else. To make anyone feel some kind of way about him. God doesn't have to do that. God has many facets of his character and his revelation. And he can come to you at that moment. Looking at God, I was sharing with someone one time. We were talking about the gospel. And there are some people who look at the gospel and they see one facet of the gospel that is overwhelming and brilliantly shining. But the gospel is like a beautiful and glorious diamond. If you take a diamond, it shines. If you turn it, there's the, you get all these different, uh, the, the, these different shinings of the light that come through this diamond in different ways. And it's the same thing with God. You can Listen, you can get caught up on one thing about God. Oh, God is love. Yes, absolutely. But you can also get caught up on one thing of God. God is holy. Yes, absolutely. None of those things are in opposition to each other. Nonetheless, there are some moments you need to realize God is holy. Sometimes you need to be encountered by the Holy One. Other times you need to be encountered by the loving, gracious, merciful Father. But God meets us where we are. And so he speaks to the church in Smyrna, revealing himself as the one who is over time and over sin and over death. Verse 9 says, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So he sees things differently. Smyrna was a hardworking church. They were a persecuted, under-attack church, and they were a seemingly poor church. Now, Smyrna, I don't have the, the map today, but uh, Smyrna was a church that was there in that same area where you saw Ephesus. And, and, and the people of Smyrna, they were probably a people, the reason why they were experiencing this hardship and this difficulty is because in that time, you, if you wanted the benefits of Rome, had to do what? You had to say, Caesar is Lord. And it would seem that Smyrna was not willing, the church in Smyrna was saying, nope, there's Jesus is Lord. 
And because Jesus is Lord, then they weren't experiencing the benefits of Rome, which were that being part of the guild. Like the guild is kind of like the chamber of commerce. And if you're not part of the guild, you're not part of the membership, then you know what? You have no right to sell. You have no right to trade. You have no right to, to give and get. And so they seemed like they were poor. They didn't have all the stuff that maybe other surrounding cities had, especially the church. But here's what Jesus says. Yet you are rich. Different perspective, is it not? You and I may feel poor, we may feel less than, we may feel like we're lacking in some area, but how is it that God sees you? See, more than anything else, we need to gain Jesus's perspective on us as individuals, but also on us as a church. We have to gain his perspective. Why? Because if we don't, we risk not knowing our value. We risk not seeing the worth that we have because you know what? When you think about riches, you know how you measure riches? By your neighbor, hello. That's how you measure riches, right? You, you measure riches by, you know, you drive by that person. You see the kind of car they're driving. You, you know, that, that's how you measure stuff. You, you, I, I don't know about you growing up. Like I had friends. I saw the way they dressed. I was like, okay, well, they must have money. I didn't realize they just had a lot of debt. Hallelujah. Maybe, right? Some of them had money. Others, others had debt. I was just, we were broke. Hallelujah. <laughs> I didn't have the option for debt or money, and so I had what I had. That was it. But, but the, the truth is we look at riches in a comparative way. And so, oh, man, in comparison to I'm poor, and Jesus is like, you're rich. See, church, what we should be striving for is to be rich in righteousness, we should be striving to be rich in love. We should be striving to be rich in good works. We should be striving to be rich in mission. We should be striving to be rich in faithfulness above everything else, not keeping up with the Joneses. It's not about that. We should be striving to be rich in God's eyes, to be rich and to have something to offer this world that is outside of this world, not something that we can have. As we were in here in worship this morning and lifting up the mighty and glorious name of Jesus, listen, all, all, the world needs that revelation from God. The world needs that understanding of who God is and where are they going to get it from? Someone trying to keep it with the Joneses or someone who is looking to say, Jesus, I want to be rich in your eyes. I want to have something to offer the world. So Jesus doesn't only see them as rich, but he also said he also knows the blasphemy of those who call themselves Jews but are not, but are really a synagogue of Satan. Again, it seems like the religious elite in that moment were like, would have the seal of approval of the God of Israel, right? That, that's what it would seem like. And yet, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, they're blasphemers, their words against you are ungodly, and guess what? You know what I call them? Not a synagogue of faithful people. I call them the synagogue of Satan. Hello. Those are strong words, are they not? He's speaking to Jewish people. But as Paul has said in other places, he says, clearly, not everyone who is a Jew externally is a Jew internally. Because what happened was, and, and I have to say, I mean, these are strong words, like to call someone a synagogue of Satan. You know, the one thing that I, as, as, again, I got some parenting advice as I looked at how Jesus deals with rewards. But man, I also got some cultural advice. I don't, I, I, Jesus was not ever, even when he was on earth, he never cared about being, you know, politically correct ever. 
He didn't care about hurting people. You wouldn't, would you? Wait a second now. When you and I, because we live in this melting pot that we live in, whenever you think about, you know, somebody who was up the street, right, you drive by a mosque. You drive by a, a temple, right, that is a Jewish temple that is not a completed Jewish temple, which would be someone who has committed their life to the Messiah Jesus. They still identify as Jewish in their heritage, which is fine. They're called Messianic Jews. I'm talking about when you see these different places, what do you see them as? Just another religion? Or do you see them the way that God sees them? Now, listen, I'm not telling you got to start walking around here saying, hey, that's a synagogue of Satan over there. That's not what I'm saying, right? But what I am, because we don't have to go through all that, right? But, but what I'm asking you is what is right here when you see these other places of worship? Because you know what God sees? He sees a place that's an abomination, he sees a place that is a, a, a place that has rejected him as Messiah, that has rejected him as Savior. Why does that matter, church? Because that creates an urgency in us for the mission that God has given us. Because we realize that these folks are enemies of God. But especially in particular, I don't want to get away from the, the context here. He is speaking of those who would call themselves Jews by birth. And he says, listen, they're a synagogue of Satan. Why? Because they are the ones who hold these Old Testament scriptures as sacred. They are the ones saying they're waiting for the Messiah to come. They are the ones saying that they're waiting on this, on this Messiah that is going to come from, from the Jews. And Jesus fulfilled all of these prophecies. And you know what happened? They decided, nah, man, that's not our Messiah. We're going to kill that guy. We're going to reject that guy. We're not going to submit to him. And so, yes, they are a, a, a synagogue of Satan, a gathering of Satan. They are not a gathering of people to worship God. That's God's perspective. He doesn't just give them a pass. And, and, and listen, and, and I know that we're Americans, and I know that we're, we're, we're being taught, you know, to be tolerant and all that beautiful stuff. And that, Yes. Man, but we better get God's perspective on the way that he sees things. Because he does not see things the way that this world sees things. Now, again, I'm not telling you that you have to go out here calling, well, you're part of the synagogue of Satan and, and I can't be around. That's not what I'm telling you. But, what, but in your heart, what I'm saying is you should sense something. When, when you know that someone is bound in a false religion, when you know that someone is bound, in, and listen, let me, let, let me say this as well because I want you to know Jesus rebukes the church as well. It's not just synagogues of Satan that are, that, 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 are, that are out there, but there are people that are in the church that are gathering that need to be rebuked as well. There should be a burden for the holiness of who God is, for the purity of the doctrine. We talked about this last week. There should be a brokenness over those who are not just separated from God, but who are deceived by Satan and worshiping false ideologies in their religions. We should be moved by that. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, Jesus knows, Jesus knows what the future holds, even the evil. Even the evil. Jesus knows what the future holds, even the evil. Think about this. Look at this verse here, verse 10. He says this. He says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Now, he said in verse 9, I know your works, I know your tribulation, and I know your poverty. 
So they were already going through hardship, and he's letting them know, do not be afraid of what is coming. There's something more in the, in, in, by way of suffering that's coming. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. And then he says, be faithful unto death. Rather than stopping the imprisonment, what does Jesus do? He warns them about it. He says, be prepared for it. Why doesn't he stop it? That's the question that we have, right? I mean, think about it. Again, none of us want to suffer. None of us wants hardship. And if, I, if, I'm, if I'm honest with you, right, and I'm talking to the Lord and he's like, hey, you're about to be thrown in prison, I'm going to be like, but Lord, is there another way? Right? Like, but God, I'm being faithful to you. God, God, I'm, I'm worshiping you, Lord. Lord, I'm rejecting the false religions around me. Lord, I'm rejecting the national religion around me. I'm not bowing to the idols of the culture. God, why? Why do I got to go to prison? That's my question. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be like weeping and crying like, God, come on, Papa. Come on. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to, to twist God's arm in his heart so I don't have to go through that hardship. So we think that way. Like, why, why do we want to go? We, we don't want to go through this. I want you to notice Jesus says the devil is going to throw. So wait a second. Not only is God going to allow this to happen, but he's saying the devil's doing it. Hello. Listen, this is some messed up stuff. Like he's allowed. Like, wait, is this a Job situation? We want to be faithful. But when, but when, but when do you prove faithful? Right? When is faithfulness proven? How, how do you prove that? It's easy to be faithful when there's no temptation. It's easy to be faithful when there's no hardship. It's easy. Listen, I've been pastoring for a little while. You know, the, there, there's a lot of controversial stuff that happens in church. So when it comes to giving, right, there, there's controversy. Is tithing for today? Is tithing not for today? I'm not going to fix all those questions for you right now. I'm a firm believer that you should be tithing, right? I firmly believe that if God has blessed you, you should be giving to the kingdom. I firmly believe, I, I told you I'm not going to fix this off for you. I'm just going to give you my thoughts. We can debate it later. But I, firm, I, I think that 10% is like the basement of giving. It's not, it's, it's not the goal. It's like that's where we should start. Anyway, anyway, somebody, somebody's in here like, Bishop, how can I give 10%? I don't know, but, but that's the question, right? Like, well, I'm going through, I'm, how can I give, you know? Wait, wait, wait a second. When, when is faithfulness tested? When is your faith tested? Your faith is tested when it's like, okay, I, I, uh, that's when your faith is tested, is it not? In those moments where, am I going to be faithful to God or am I going to worry about these other things, right? And so when I say other things, let, let, let me not get it twisted, right? I, I want to be clear. Because I've had people tell me they couldn't tithe, but their nails look good, and I know that they weren't doing them themselves. <laughs> Their hair is looking right, and I know they didn't do it themselves because I ain't got hair, but I know what it takes to get that hair to look like that. Hello. I'm not, I'm not talking. Listen, I am not talking about. Let, let, let me say this like this. I'm not talking about the person that is legitimately like eating ramen noodles and is saying, man, I got to give 10% or I got to pay the light bill. I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you. I, I want to bless you. I want to help you get through that. Let, let us know about that. We want to come beside you, and we want to support you. 
I'm talking to the person who's not eating ramen noodles, who's getting their nails done, who's got all these other things and saying, I can't tithe. Come on now. Keep it 100, right? You're like, but Bishop, you're only attacking women. I'm just telling you an example. Hello. You know, there's guys, they do the same stuff. You know, they got money for this, money for that. They got money to do. Hold on a second. When is faithfulness tested? It's not tested until hardship comes. It's not tested until difficulty comes. And so the devil is going to throw some people into prison and test them. Probably this testing has to do with them being tested as traitors of Rome. Because they won't say Caesar is Lord are you traitors? So they're going to be tested for their faith. They will have tribulation. They already have hardship. They're going to suffer. They're going to go through tribulation. He says it's going to be for 10 days. So what does that mean, right? And so again, there's different ideas, right? Like some people think that this is, you know, a, a, a period of all of the suffering that the church is going to go through. Other people think that this is 10 days of, of su- or, or 10 um, types of persecution that happened in the church with Rome. And then other people, when I land in this camp, think that this is just just saying this is going to be for a short period of time. What does the book of Romans tells us? The book of Romans tells us that this present suffering is not to be compared with the glory that should be revealed. Romans chapter 8, beautiful, encouraging words. It's temporary in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that is forever. They're going to go through this. So here's the question. If Jesus loves us, why not stop the suffering? So I'm going to quote. Now, listen, I'm going to quote some older writers, all right? So they write a little bit different than us, but just hang with me for a moment because I love what this writer said. He's between like the 1600s, 1600s, 1700s. He says this in commenting on this verse. He said, affliction, it's not too bad, only at the end. Affliction is bitter for the time being, but it's salutary. Preserving the elect from corruption and seizing them for immortality and gives scope to the exercise of the fragrantly breathing Christian virtues. Let me read that again. Affliction is bitter for the time being, but salutary. Preserving the elect from corruption. What does suffering do? It keeps us from falling into worldliness. Suffering is supposed to keep us from being contaminated with worldliness. It is seasoning us for immortality. It's preparing us for the glory that is to be revealed. And it gives scope for the exercise of the fragrantly breathing Christian virtues. Again, Pastor Aldo, I heard his, in his sermon when he was preaching to us, and he was saying, hey, it's easy to be loving all by yourself. I've said this before, right? It's easy to forgive when no one is offending you. Hallelujah. Right? When you're by, well, listen, when you're by yourself, you're not in community with people, you're not engaging folks, it's easy to be holy, but get around people that rub you the wrong way. Get, get around people that don't know how to be quiet. Hello. Get around people who are always interrupting others. Get around people that think they know it all. Get Wait, 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 hold on a second. Now, now we got to pray. 
Now, now, now my characters, now my love is being checked. Wait a second. That's, that's part of being in community. And suffering, my friends, is also part of your character coming to life. Because in those moments when you start experiencing hardship, you know what happens? Well, you know, some words that you didn't even know were still there start coming out. I know in today's Christianity, it's okay to just curse and say whatever you want. I don't know. I don't think that that's biblical. But anyway, <clears throat> I, don't, I, I don't think that it's biblical. <sighs> I'm just saying, I mean, anyway, anyway, that's another, that's another lesson. I'll do that one with tithing. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that again another time. But, but you have a potty mouth. And, but wait a second. But you were super holy just a moment ago. And then suddenly you start suffering and you dropping F-bombs and S-bombs and all kind of bombs. Hello. You just, I mean, you, you, you got stuff going. You're, you're feeling, you start going through hardship, you start mistrusting people. Someone offends you, all of a sudden you don't trust anyone, you don't want to talk to, those, those types of things happen. That's the reason why we write each other off. You know what? I'm done with them people. <laughs> I remember a long time ago, someone was in our, they're no longer here, so I can talk about them. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Having a conversation, they, they were having a conversation with an older Christian, a mature Christian. And this mature Christian said, hey, you know what you should do? You know, go to church, but don't get involved in anything. That was their advice. That was the wisdom, the, the wisdom of the mature. Why? Why, 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 why? why did this older saint, hallelujah, say that? Because they've been hurt. They've been offended. Maybe they felt like they were used, whatever. So we, we don't want to suffer. Hardship. So here's what we realize again. I said this earlier. This church was one of two of the seven that was not rebuked. It was a church that was encouraged, and yet, is, man, I, am I encouraged? <laughs> like, we want the encouragement we want is Jesus sees this coming, and he's going to deliver me from it. No, 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 he's going to walk you through it. But is that enough for us, that he's going to walk us through the hardship that we're about to face? See, here's the thing. Suffering sanctifies us. Suffering sanctifies us. Hardship sanctifies us. That's why we need it. Ask Larry. You want to look good? It ain't going to be sitting on the, on the couch eating bonbons. Hello. It's not even going to be looking at the, at the machines. It's, it's not even going to be walking in the gym, smelling the sweat and the blood and, 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 and you know. No, no, no. It's, it's, that, it's, going to be, it's going to actually be on it. Hello, somebody. Right? You, you want to feel better? You want to have mobility? Ask Joanna. You, you, you're going to have to move your body. You can't just read about it like, hey, I bought all the tools for it. Hello. There's work that has to be put in there, something and that makes us, that moves us further forward in our walk with Christ. It's hardship. Number three, say this with me. Jesus encourages, Jesus encourages faithfulness, faithfulness with, promises of reward. with promises of reward. Jesus encourages faithfulness with promises of reward. As I said, as a parent, I'm being motivated by my Lord to serve him, looking forward to reward. And so I'm thinking, man. You know, we went away the other day, Elaine and I, and um, Josiah was motivated by a specific toy, hallelujah, that he wanted. 
And my daughter can attest that he was holy. That boy was righteous. He, was the, he didn't talk back. He listened. He knew that he was getting that toy. The moment that he felt like he might not get the toy, his whole attitude went kaput. But when he had the motivation that was there, there, there was a motivation. Oh, but, but shouldn't he be motivated by your love? All right, whatever. I'll let you, I'll let you argue with that one. You, you deal with that. The fact is, now, if I was standing in front of him, it's a different, it's a different conversation. Because my presence, my voice, my eyes opening. Make his eyes open like, oh, okay, oh, oh. Let me, let me act right because it's about to go down. Yes, it is. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm far away, so I can't do all that, right? Jesus encourages faithfulness with promises of reward. Verses, look at verse 10. See, he says this, be faithful unto the death, until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. In the shadow of the words that Jesus says in the beginning of verse 10, do not fear any of those things. Jesus admonishes, admonishes them to be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And if you've ever been through the book of James, James says this in verse um, chapter 1 and verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved he will receive the crown of life which is which the Lord has promised to those who love him what is Jesus doing here Jesus is speaking about what is called the victor's crown there is a crown that we look forward to. It, it is a and, and listen, I, I don't want to I don't want to mix this up with with our salvation. We're talking about reward that we're going to get here. We're talking about coming before Him and being rewarded because we have endured hardship, because we have endured the suffering. The words of Jesus are meant to do what? They are meant to give us hope. They are meant to give us direction. But His words are also meant to give us power and grace to. Continue continue to fight the fight to continue to run the race and now look some of us it's like life is so easy and and whatever but here's the fact the fact is that if we are really following Jesus if we are really walking with him there are going to be moments in our lives different seasons because God is not some you know just harsh God that's just going to make us go through hell all the days of our lives but there will be seasons that will be more hellish than others and in those moments, these words need to resonate. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Don't abandon me. Don't, don't, don't disregard me. Don't, don't leave my word. And what happens is if we believe that God's word is living and active, when God speaks, when we hear his words, life should be breathed into us. We should be experiencing the strength. And the fact is this, is that while we all face the inevitability of death, I love what he says at the end here. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. All of us, we face the inevitability of death, but not everybody looks at death with the hope of eternal life. That's factual. The death that, we, that, that Jesus is talking about here, there is a first death. Every one of us is going to experience a first death. There's no question. If you're breathing today, I don't know when it's going to be, but we will experience the first death. Second death, oh, that's a different thing. 
Second death is suffering. Second death is eternal torment. Second death, and how, how does he say this? Because, well, Bishop, you just said that this is talking about reward, not salvation. Well, time out. Here's the thing that we have to realize is that endurance is the product of grace, but it is also the sign and proof of our faith. You see, if we, if we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, guess what? We're going to keep walking by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to keep living. That's why he who endures to the end will be saved. Like those scriptures are there to encourage us to continue fighting the fight that is sent before us. So here's what I want to encourage you. If you're in here today and you're born again, then you know what? You can rest in your suffering. You can rest in your hardship. You can rest in your different. You can even rest in death because what? Eternal life awaits you with a crown of glory ahead. That's beautiful. But if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, if you have not been born again, if you don't have new life, how do I know if I've been born again? Well, do you have new desires for God? Do you have a new dislike for sin? If, if that's not happening, then you haven't been born again. You haven't been given new life by God. If that is the case for you, turn from your sin today. Turn to Christ today. Humble your heart before the Lord today. Cry out to him to save you from your sin. Here's my closing question for you. What is your Christianity costing you? What is your Christianity costing you? And are you ready to be faithful in the death? Now, I'll say this. If your Christianity isn't costing you anything, you can't really answer the second question. If you're just living in comfort and, and just there's no, there, there, your Christianity isn't costing you anything, you can't answer that other question. Because you know what? You don't know. Because your faith hasn't been tested. So I want you to think just for a moment, man, man, does my Christianity cost me anything? Does me following Jesus cost me anything? It should cost you something. Maybe it should cost you some friendships. Maybe it should be that you shouldn't be able to do every single thing that you want to do. Maybe it should cost you some comforts in your life. It should cost you something. So I ask you to just bow your heads right where you are. If you're in this place and you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, right now is a moment to do that. Humble your heart before God as I pray. Cry out to him, God save me, God set me free. God, fill me with your spirit. God, give me new life. If you're in this place and you are not walking with Jesus in a way that it's costing you something, then I ask you to humble your heart before the Lord and ask him, Lord, what? What should this Christianity cost me? Where is it that you're calling me to lay my life down? And for those that are suffering, that are going through hardship, that Christianity is costing you, be encouraged by these words today. Father, we humble our hearts before you in this place. We thank you for your word that is true. We thank you for your grace that is sufficient. And we ask you, Spirit of the living God, draw our hearts closer to you. Father, if we're living in our comfortable Christianity that is costing us nothing, Lord, give us hearts of repentance. Give us the faith and the willingness to relinquish our comforts for your glory and honor, whatever that is, God. 
Father, for those in this place that are suffering, that are experiencing hardship and difficulty for their faith and for their, their commitment to you, God, may you give them the strength that they need. Lord, for those that are walking through valleys, may you meet them there right now in special ways. May they experience your comfort. May they experience your peace in this moment, God. I pray, Holy Spirit, for anyone in this place that doesn't know you, God, that has not been born again. God, may you give them new life in the name of Jesus. May you awaken them to righteousness and truth, and may you bring the gospel to bear on their soul, God. Lord, we thank you for these things, and we pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Come on and give the Lord a hand of praise. He is worthy. <laughs> Hallelujah.